Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Madison, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMadison.com. Just want to introduce our guest speaker this morning, Deacon Chad Magnuson. Uh, some of you have met Chad. Some of you probably have never met Chad before. Um, Chad and his wife, Kirsten, who, who you'll hear from later on in this service, uh, are a part of a church plant in the Fox Cities up in northern Wisconsin, um, which is getting started kind of as a snowball, is picking up more and more snow these days, which is really exciting. We're going to pray for them at the end of the service. But uh, Deacon Chad is bringing us a word on Isaiah 40 this morning, and it's a real joy for us as a newer church. If you're new to our church, we're a church plant that started in Madison about two years ago. Our second birthday was November, in early November. Um, and so get, to get to partner with a new sister church in Wisconsin, uh, our relationship with this new church in the Fox Cities and with the Magnuson family is really special and is one that we're going to be investing a lot in over the coming years and what we hope will be bearing lots of fruit for decades to come. Amen. So let me pray for you before you bring us this word. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have spoken to Chad this week through Isaiah 40 that you have put things in his hand, that you have given him arrows to shoot. Uh, Lord, you've given him bread and abundance to feed, and Lord, we're hungry. And we pray that the bread that, that Chad has uh, of your word, we would be able to open our hearts and our mouths and our ears to receive this morning. All for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as most of you know, I was a psychology professor before the Lord called me and my family to transition and, and pivot toward training for pastoral ministry and church planting. And one of the classes that I taught was called gerontology. Gerontology is the study of aging and older adulthood and what happens in those developmental stages. And so every semester that I taught that, at the very end, we would come to death and dying and loss and grief. And this was something that was a hard thing, but a really gratifying thing to teach into because all of us are touched in different ways by grief, because grief is just an emotional response to a loss. And we have many losses throughout our lifetimes, whether it's associated with death and losing a loved one or other losses. It might be vocational. It might be loss of relationships. It might be loss of a dream that we once had. Losses are many in our lives. And so our emotional response to those losses are really complex. It used to be thought that we would go through certain stages in grieving. We know now that that's not true. It's a roller coaster. There's ups and downs. There's starts and stops. You feel better and then worse. And, and then it's this confusing mix and disorienting mix of sadness and and anxiety and guilt and anger and fear, and sometimes we don't even know what to name these things. So what do we say to people who are grieving? This is one thing that students often ask, and so we, we would put together a top 10 list of things to say to someone who's grieving and things not to say to someone who's grieving. I'm not going to give you all 10. I'm just going to give you a taste, though, of the, the top things not to say to someone who is grieving. Number one, God needed another angel. 
first of all, theologically really confusing and, and wrong, but not a good thing to say. Number two, there's a reason for everything. That's not what a grieving person wants to hear. Number three, he brought this on himself. Ugh, don't say that. But amazingly, the students would tell me this is what people have told them in their families. Number four, you can still have another child. No. Number five, at least she lived a long life. There are many people who die at a young age. And how about just a bonus one? This is the one that, for sure, we never ever want to say to people, I know how you feel. Well, maybe you're new to Christ Church Madison. Maybe you're tuning in actually for the first time. And, and we're in a season of Advent. And Advent is a gift to us from the church because it's a season before Christmas where we take four weeks and we really focus on, on our waiting and our longing. Because we are people who are living between two comings of Jesus. His first coming in the manger that we celebrate during Christmas. And then his second coming that we're all longing for. And in this season of Advent, we acknowledge all the ways that things aren't the way they should be. We acknowledge the hurt that we often feel. We acknowledge destruction. We acknowledge fear. We acknowledge the pain of loss. And most of all, this deep, deep aching we all have in our hearts for things to be right. We see that things aren't right, and we're aching for them to be made right. But for us as followers of Jesus, it doesn't end there. It actually fuels our hope. It fuels an anticipation of the time when God will come again to make all things right. And so for these four Sundays approaching Christmas, here this season in Christ Church, we're looking at four different readings in Isaiah that are helping us prepare our hearts and acknowledge our longing and lean into these ways of of fuel for our hope. And so our passage today, perhaps more than any other, really captures the essence of Advent for us. In a time of loss and grief, what does God say? What do we need to hear when we're grieving over loss? And then what do we do or say to each other and to the world in this season? Now, the story of God's people in this time in the reading that we had in Isaiah is a story that's full of loss. God, made, God had made a promise to his people long before, and his promise was, if you trust me, I will be with you, and I will use you as a people to show whole, the whole world what I'm like and who I am. The problem is, though, that the people did not trust Instead, they trusted idols. They trusted the things that they've made with their hands. And they also trusted the peoples around them and the governments and rulers around them. And God said earlier that if you do that, that's going to end in destruction. And you know what? It did. What did that destruction look like for them? The Babylonian Empire came into Jerusalem, and at first, they took away all the influencers and leaders all the governmental leaders, all the religious leaders, the priests, the creatives, the rulers, the elites, they were all taken out of Jerusalem and taken to Babylon. Then another wave of loss came in when they just took thousands and thousands of others out of Jerusalem and Judah to Babylon. 
And then they came in and they totally destroyed the temple. They burned it to the ground, along with all the houses of the leaders, the palace, the wall that was supposed to protect Jerusalem in rubble. Everything that their culture and life was about and that people held as important was completely destroyed. All that was left is a meager group of the poorest of the poor. They were left in the land, and so the economy was struggling. There was no infrastructure. The religious life was completely devastated. Wave after wave after wave. And it left them longing and grieving and hoping for restoration. But increasingly, things weren't changing, and they became more and more hopeless. How do we know? We can read in the very beginning of the book of Lamentations, which was a book written in this time, and in the very first chapter, just read the, few, a few, the, the first few verses, there are five times in just a few verses, here are the phrases in, in the beginning of Lamentations. The her is talking about Jerusalem and Judah. She has none to comfort her. She has no comforter. A comforter is far from me. There is none to comfort her. There is no one to comfort me. Can you feel the depth of despair? You may have noticed that there's lots of speaking in this passage in Isaiah 40. Eleven times, actually, in eleven verses, we have God talking, others talking, maybe the prophet, and then finally the people of God. Often, we actually, and scholars talk about this, we don't really know who is speaking or often who is being addressed. But the point then is, the message is what's most important. It's not necessarily the speaker, it's what's being portrayed in these words. And the speaking breaks this passage up really nicely into four different sections, each with its own message. And so if you're a fill-in-the-blank kind of person, you can turn to page eight in your bulletin, and there are little phrases here from these sections with blanks. If you don't like fill-in-the-blanks, just don't write them. Or email Father Scott, scott at at christchurchmadison.com. Tell him that you didn't like the fill in the blanks. But they're there to to be helpful. So as we go along, to fill in these blanks about what these messages are, these are the words that we need to hear in this season. Number one, take heart. Take heart, verses one and two. Remember the opening in Lamentations? There's no one to comfort, no one to comfort. There's no comforter. Listen to these words and what they must have sounded like. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. What a way to get their attention. The very thing that seemed elusive and far from them, God's God's saying, speak those words. There's two things I think we should notice here before we jump on to the others. One is the intimate personal language. Because earlier in Isaiah, in chapters 6 and 8, when God was talking about the people, he used the phrase, this people. This people, kind of distancing them from himself. But look at these personal pronouns. My people, your God. And it reminds me of Hosea. In the book of Hosea, in the very beginning, in chapter 1, he actually names one of his children, not my people. What a horrible name to have as a child, not my people. But he said, that's, that's, that's what's going on. God says, you're not my people. I'm not your God. But, Hosea says, there will be a time that God says, you are my people. 
I am your God. Here we have it being fulfilled. God's saying those words, you're my people, I'm your God. And the second thing is that God involves others in bringing comfort. These words, comfort, comfort, they're actually plural commands. So if we were in the South, it would be, y'all comfort. Or if you're in northern Wisconsin, it would be, use, use guys, comfort. But God involves others in bringing and speaking this comfort. And it's a little teaser of the very end of the passage that we're going to come to in just a few minutes. Verse 2, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Literally, in Hebrew, it says, speak to the heart. Speak to the heart. This is a kind, gentle encouragement. These are words to move someone that might be paralyzed by their circumstances to take heart, to believe. And of course, it doesn't pretend that hard things aren't there. Actually, the hard things are acknowledged. It doesn't, doesn't pretend that, or sweep them under the rug. Her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. The receiving double, these were all really hard things. But the ultimate purpose God has for them is not destruction. It's redemption. It's not death, but it's life. Maybe you felt like the people here with wave after wave of loss. I think of the times that my family would visit the beach every summer when we lived out on the East Coast. We'd go to the ocean, and, and we'd spend time in the ocean, and you get up to maybe when the water is about this deep, and it's really fun, and the waves start coming, but there are some waves that are so powerful, they kind of knock you over, and you can become disoriented, and maybe you go underwater, and you're not sure where exactly up is, so you, you start trying to get up, and finally you get up, and you get a breath, of, a breath of air, and you think, oh, good, and then all of a sudden, the next one's coming, and just slams you again, and, and it can be wave after wave, you're gasping for air, it can get really scary. Sometimes that's what our lives feel like. Just wave, thing after thing. Wait, another thing? I'm just, I feel like I'm just getting traction from the previous one. And so some of us this morning, I think we just need to hear the Lord speak to the heart. Speak right to our hearts. That today, loss and grief, they're not the final chapter in your story. Take heart. But what's the basis for this? This could seem really empty, like, oh, you know, just take heart. Everything is going to be fine. How can comfort come to sinful, ruined people? They could take heart, number two, because I'm coming. Because I'm coming, verses three through five. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's not take heart because you've suffered enough for your sins to cover them. It's not take heart because now you can save yourself. It's not take heart because the right government is coming, the right educational program, the right economic package. No. Take heart because I'm coming. God is coming. 
The only hope is God breaking into human history. There's nothing humans can construct to bring about this kind of hope. And this is exactly why the messenger isn't important. It's not important who's saying this. What is important is the wonder that God himself is coming among us. Years earlier, the prophet Ezekiel had said that God's splendor, God's presence, God's glory would leave Jerusalem when she was captured by Babylon. But here God is coming back from Sinai, from the wilderness, through the wilderness, back to rescue his people. God is doing this. He's coming. One of the favorite phrases from our bishop, Bishop Stuart Ruck, uh, he says, God does everything and we do something. This all rests on God, but there's always something that he asks us to do. What's the something in this passage? The one thing we can do is prepare. This is a season. Advent's a season of preparation. It's an act of faith. We don't yet see God. We're not assured of this, technically, but we act as if we, we trust that God is going to do what he says he's doing, and we'll see his glory his glory, the very reality of God, the very presence and power of God. That's not just a return from these, this people in this situation from exile back to their homeland. This is a glory of God coming that's saving the whole world. And how can we be sure? We can be sure because it's God's very word. They didn't know it at the time, but they were waiting for Jesus, for God coming in flesh to set people free from sin, from sickness, from death. And we today are waiting for his coming again to make all things new. So take heart, because I'm coming. And number three, you can take my word to the bank. You can take my word to the bank, verses five through eight. Can you almost hear the people's thoughts at this point? Nice words, man crying in the wilderness. But can God really deliver us from these evil powers? Remember, a lot of these Jews are in exile. They're in Babylon. They're far from home, and they're longing for how things used to be. Many of those who are in the land, they saw Jerusalem sacked and burned to the ground, and the rubble is still there every day, and they see it. Hope is slipping away because nothing seems to be changing for them. And many of them are in survival mode. Can you hear them say, just leave me alone? I don't have the time or energy to give to these empty words. Can you feel them starting to become calloused, starting to become jaded, saying, I need more than words. I need more than this. Can you identify with that? We hear so many words, so many words, words all the time, on the news, social media. We're listening to podcasts. Everyone has an opinion about everything, and words are just swirling around and around, and it's becoming noise to us just noise. And some of us are starting to just feel numb. 
nope, more empty promises. Just trust me, I'm going to make this all better. What's your angle? What's your motivation? Why are you saying this? You're probably trying to get me to think something or behave in a certain way. We start to put up our defenses. We start to become mistrusting. We don't know who to trust anymore. What's true? Who should I listen to? And here's part of the problem. For people, for human beings, our words and our deeds don't always match up. They're not always congruent. In fact, often they're not. People say one thing and then they do another. And we're tired. Honestly, we're just tired. And subconsciously, we start treating God's word like people's words. But you know what? It's almost like God anticipated this kind of faith fatigue. Both for them back then and for us today. And so he helps us with this picture in this passage of of human frailty on one hand, juxtaposed with God's power and faithfulness on the other. Surely the people are grass. (laughs) They're here today, they're gone tomorrow, they're burned up. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. It's God's word, not our capacity. That's the foundation of this message. He's given it and he will sustain it because for God, his words and his deeds, they're always in alignment. He always does what he says and he always says what he does. And this is the good news here. With God's word, the check will never bounce. We never have to wonder if there's gonna be enough in the bank to cover the check. It's like gold, always good. You can take it to the bank. And what's more, when God says something, it actually happens. Our words as humans, they can only describe the things that are. They can't create out of nothing, but that's what God's words do. They create realities. Let there be light. And the refrain in Genesis 1, the let there be, and it was so. Let there be, and it was so. So what's my assurance? God has spoken, and he has spoken definitively. What's his final word? What's the final word of God in anything that we deal with? It's Jesus. He's spoken with his son, his very person, the word, the eternal person, the second person of the Trinity who took our human flesh, John chapter 1. The same word by which heaven and earth were made, has entered our humanity. This is the the mystery and wonder of the incarnation and brings our humanity into God's very life and we share that with him. So take heart, because I'm coming, you can take my word to the bank. But we're not quite done. Number four, now proclaim this good news. Now proclaim this good news, verses 9 through 11. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. 
Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. What a stirring conclusion. God's people are invited to be part of God's work. God's people are actually bearers. We carry it, we hold it of this good news. And more than that, they're called to proclaim it, to speak it. And what's the message? It's not a complex one. It's actually really simple and yet really powerful. Here's the message. Look, it's God. That's the message. Behold, look, it's here twice for emphasis, calling attention to God's presence. Salvation is not something that's external to who God is. It's not like God, God has come to give us spiritual laws. God hasn't come to give us gifts as, this, as salvation. He hasn't come to give us abstract doctrinal truth as salvation. And he didn't even come as a transaction to purchase something necessarily. It's more than that. It's not like someone just bought us groceries. No. Salvation is God himself. We get God. That is salvation. And did you catch this little phrase that's almost buried here? It's in scripture all over the place. Two words, fear not. Fear not. Can I be really honest with you this morning? Thank you. I need those words. I need those words because sometimes I'm afraid that God, well, God won't do what he said. Sometimes I'm afraid that people won't believe because they've lost too much hope. They're callous, they're jaded. Sometimes I'm, not a, I'm afraid that I'm not the ideal messenger. Who am I to carry this anywhere? But remember, it's not about the messenger. It's not about me. It's about God coming in power to make all things new. And it's good news today just like it was good news way back then. And just in case the people and we need a reminder about why this is good news, we get that here too. The coming one is both the conquering king who is all-powerful and he's the tender shepherd who is all good. And both of these actually need to be true for us, for this to be good news. Because if God is only all-powerful and not all-good, then he probably would be using his power for selfish gain, just like all the evil dictators and despots throughout history have done. And that's the fear for some people. Yeah, great, God is all-powerful. He can do all these things. Look at all the power that has gone badly in our world. But God is not just all-powerful. If he's only good and not all-powerful, then he can't defeat the enemy. He can come give us and speak comforting words, but, but he couldn't do anything to save us from our situation. I like how one scholar put it. He said, you know, the same arm that's raised in triumph is lowered in compassion. And we see this the best in Jesus. 
Jesus, God's final and full and perfect self-giving and self-revelation. Jesus is the conquering king who defeats the power of sin and death and brings his kingdom of peace and righteousness. And he's also the shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep, feeding them with his very self. And for some of this morning, this is actually the very thing you need. You need Jesus to gather you in his arms, to carry you close to him. This is good news. It's good news. And we proclaim it. And we proclaim it with strength. And we proclaim it without fear. So what does God say to people who are struggling with loss? Who are looking at an empty chair at the table this Christmas? Who are afraid and lonely and confused and tired? He says, take heart. Because I'm coming. You can take my word to the bank. Now proclaim this good news.